By rattling snake and bullfrogs croak, the singing robin and jackalope. By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about. Welcome to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell, sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon. I promise you won't regret it. Hello, and welcome to Southern Bramble. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin, Bane X Bramble on Instagram. How are you today, Austin? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's a really happy moon day. I think I'm from now on, I'm going to call all Mondays moon day because I think Mondays are over with Garfield and and Garfield really coined the whole like little Mondays thing. So I think from now on they're going to be moon days because it's the day of the moon. It is. We can all just walk around like um early modernists or medievalists and just be like have a great Saturn's day um and I'll see you next moon's day or whatever. I love that. No, I really actually like that a lot actually. <laughs> Um, what's been going on with you lately? What have you been doing? What have you been focusing on? You want to share with the class? Yeah, I'd love to share with um, the, the rest of the class. Um, so I've been pretty busy lately. I don't know if I did. I, I think I started it around the time of our last episode, but I started a blog. I started a website. I started doing consultations. Um, like spiritual consultations for readings as well as like um commissions for um operative magic like charms and talismans and things like that I like getting people involved in magic so I don't really I I don't do like um spells per se for other people but I can like write up rituals and um write uh you know, make talismans and make spirit houses and other uh, certain tools to be used in magic, like perfumes and incense and um, things like that. And I am also working on an occult pigment formulary, um, and I will be announcing the date in the next couple of weeks uh, for pre-sale for it. It is going to be very exciting. we're focusing on uh, like the creation of pigments and how to make that yourself at home. Some of them, some of them are, you'd have to be a chemist to make and I, I, I don't have that kind of equipment, but um, they're all focused on like occult planetary metals or pigments or colors. And we're going to be learning how to make ink and paint and uh, very classical types of paint like tempera and um, gauche. Um, and yeah, so what have you been up to? Um, well, before we go on to what I'm doing, I'm curious, uh, can, you, can you say your blog site on here or do you want to 
share it so people can find you? Yeah, yeah. So it's BaneXBramble.com. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I really um threw that out of the the park. I know, right? I never would have guessed that that's what you've chosen. That's awesome. And actually, it's really funny you say that because I think, and again, I have no issues with other practitioners doing this. I personally feel kind of weird doing commissioned spells for other people. Um, just, Just as myself, I would actually much rather give you the information and get you involved in your own magic than necessarily doing specific spells for other people. Um, just because I do think when you get involved in your own personal desire of the spell casting, it, it has a better effect than say, me doing a spell for some anonymous person across the world, if that makes sense. Um, what do you think about that? No, it's very that. I think with magic, there is a level of, um, self-work right so even people like cunning folk back in the day or whatever there was always a sense of like I know how to do it but there is still work that you're gonna have to do you're either gonna have to bring me something or you're gonna have to bury something or you're gonna have to do the work as opposed to just handing me a, a shilling and a penny and and I'm gonna make the witch bottle for you like no you're gonna have to be the one to collect the urine and put the nails in it and put it by the fire and kill the witch down the street. Um, that's uh, an actual story from uh, Joseph Glanville's Tradissimus Triumphatus, or I'm sorry, Sedissimus Triumphatus um, from a really long time ago. It's a, a very interesting story. But uh, yeah, I, I think people have to get in their, their own, you have to do your own work. Even a lot of older cunning practitioners from like uh, local villages from yesteryear, uh, <laughs> they were the types of people that you would go to, but at the same time, they wouldn't just do everything and hand it over. Sometimes that might be with medicines, but they also would say, you need to bring me three leaves picked at midnight on this day, three leaves of this plant. You need to take this home, spin around counterclock. I mean, like I'm kind of embellishing here, but they had to go home and do part of the work. It wasn't all just them. That's one of the reasons why I know so much prayer and Christianity was really worked into a lot of these types of cunning charms because the charmer had to work with the belief system of the people who are going to be accepting and using that magic, right? Yeah, a lot of the times with like charmers and things like that, um, you'll see, uh, charming is one of those very interesting things, I think, um, um, I think it was Owen Davies that uh, really kind of made the specificity of like a charmer is somebody who like does like the laying of hands or or is like speaking like prayers or things like that. And in some cases, they would only speak one, and that was kind of like their cure all. Um, but they were very like designated by God um, to the theory of the people that God had given them them the ability to like you know, take these diseases away. But like you were saying with a lot of other cunning practitioners or, or pellers or conjurers or whatever, yeah, it was a lot of the time like, um, Jesse's been witched and it's like, okay, well, you need to go take Jesse to the rose bush on a Friday at noon and have him crawl backwards through the rose tunnel and, um, you know, say in the name of the devil, take this curse back or something like that. You know, it's very, it's very operative. It's very interesting, too, because a lot of people would use working with the devil because it was a, a means of of somewhat evil or or banefulness 
to remove or or to do something against something that was evil on you. So if you had a sickness, you might actually call up the devil to take that sickness from you because only only baneful could work with baneful no matter how christian or how like devout they were within their faith um it's very interesting because most people don't think about that today when it comes to what we know as modern day witchcraft so like when i'm online and online spaces and i am seeing things like do you know anything about christian witchcraft or is it possible to be christian witch and people comment back like no it says in the bible this 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 and i'm like okay hold on we're getting a little out of context here there actually historically is a lot aspects of Christian witchcraft, but it probably wouldn't have been called that at the time. And I think we've talked about that in a couple episodes before. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, a lot of instances where like people are conjuring up the devil to take away sickness. Cause like you said, the idea is like only a bad, the creator of all evil, supposedly, um, can take away evil, right <laughs> can take away a sickness but they considered themselves very good christians although a lot of the times the clergy probably wouldn't have uh said that that was okay but here we are you know the clergy could block themselves <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of the devil i thought it might be a good intro or a segue into our topic today our topic today is working with deities Yes. I thought we might kind of first off with talking about what deity means to us individually, specifically. I mean, we know a deity as a definition is a divine spirit or being usually associated with a god or goddess, um, uh, whether that be from a a pantheon or a, a monotheistic pantheon. What do you think about that, Austin? What does deity mean to you? I think deity, um, is I do hold the word into some high regard, right? So I do a lot of operative spirit work. I actually don't do a lot of what people would consider deity work or um, deity work. I view spirits as deities as well, although um, perhaps some deification has to go into it. So they might be like a slightly elevated spirit or something like that. I typically view like the larger spirits as as deity works or bigger spirits um, as deity. So, but I also, um, you know, have participated in, in deity work in the past. There is a lot of, um, there's a strange relationship that I have with the Holy Mother, and there's also uh, like Mary, the Virgin Mary, um, as well as some interesting deity work that I have done with Hecate in the past, um, and as well as a, a handful of of um, I, I tried to like dip my toes into Hellenic Reconstructionism um, or Hellenic Polytheism, and it just was not for me, but um, I still kind of strictly worked with Hecate uh, and um, some other Catholic spirits. But for the most part, I don't really do what would be considered traditional deity work. What about you? I'm actually very similar in that aspect. I I won't talk too deep into it because the the class in itself is supposed to be private and it's it's behind a paywall and I respect Jason Miller for uh, uh, the information that he puts out and I don't want to break that that oath. 
Um, but I worked in some Hecate deity work and I have done some other aspects in the past of deity work. It's kind of funny, actually. I, I started, and, and as some of you guys know as listeners, I started in Wicca when I was like 12, 13 years old. So immediately I jumped from one set of, well, not set, just one deity, God, you know, the big guy from the good book, so to speak, uh, uh, over to Wicca, which was Lord and Lady, our God and Goddess. And it immediately kind of went into, I have to admit, a little bit more of a goddess direction. And even when I came back into the craft later in life, it still was very goddess focused, but it wasn't the idea of a very specific goddess. It was more of a divine motherdom. I mean, some people might describe that as Gaia, Mother Nature, universal. It was a very universal type of stuff. I looked at all of creation in a feminine form. That was my specific visage at the time. So when I think about deity work, I understand that there's so many different directions it goes, but my experience with it has mostly been through the the visage of working with more of a goddess form and to be perfectly honest i think it's possible that some of my own religious drama growing up within the church being so male dominated being so patriarchal patriarch patriarchal being so man-led was <laughs> it really kind of defined the direction I kind of turned to because I felt like I was missing that balance. And it's interesting because I ended up doing it for so long, focusing on the goddess and the goddess is where the energy comes from. And the goddess works through me and the goddess is the planet. The goddess is the universe. And eventually that kind of didn't have much balance either. And it was with my interview with Olivia that I had this kind of aha moment of recognizing I am now missing out on that balance again. So it's kind of funny, uh, people like you and and uh, uh, Gemma Gary and Keldon, uh, as well as Corey Thomas Hutchison from New World Witchery, like a lot of these people have been bringing new information to me that has really resonated when it comes to deity work, but it's still a little different because it's it's folkloric, it's tradcraft, it brings in the devil or the horned god, however you want to call them. So I know in England, they call them the old one a lot. But so to me, after that long-winded explanation. No, that was great. Yeah, deity actually to me does definitely mean that spirit, that deified existence. Sometimes that deity doesn't necessarily mean a god or goddess, because I have said in the past that when I work with different plant spirits and allies, I definitely think of certain plants as more deified. Like I said, with morning glory in the past, I definitely feel it's a liminal spirit plant. I feel the same way about Belladonna. I feel the same way about Tatura. These have historical connections to divine existences and energies. So there is a difference in, in different types of plant spirits as, as well as kind of the direction that goes. Uh, what other types of allies and spirits are also deified? Are sacred spaces places of deity, churchyards, graveyards, uh, st stone circles, these have energies to them that I personally feel are somewhat deified. Yeah, I would agree with the idea, particularly there's a, a set of um, tree spirits that I've been led to through some work that I've been doing that are known to me as these uh, priests. Um, 
and it's it's gotten really weird and it's it's an, it's a good time I don't want to go too deep into it because I will probably sound um like a lunatic and I haven't I I can't I'm not under any oath to talk to not talk about it so it wouldn't be a big deal if I did um however there is much that I have to learn on that end still before I like speak on it but I will say there have been like these tree spirits who have shown up to me as um priests of uh elemental priests as well as uh those who conjure the dead uh those who are able to to um conjure angels of of death it, it gets really weird and deep and like i said i, I don't want to go too far into it no no i totally understand that and it's funny because it actually kind of goes in our next question which is how does working with a deity work with an animism and i feel like that's just kind of combined with what we've been talking about here because so many aspects of animism involves recognizing the spirit and everything and then when you talk about deity that is a slightly almost higher elevated version of of spirit so to speak um what i think might be interesting and this is one of the things that really kind of pops up so 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 much more within all of this is the way in which people move from say like myself i went from christianity to wicca at a very early age and with my mind at that time period and my only exposure being to the way that the church and dogma was built it kind of goes to the question that we talk about now a lot within online spaces is what is really the difference between working with a deity and devotion or worship of a deity because i feel like that's something that sometimes gets missed within the discussions on deity work and people who consider themselves devotees versus someone who just works with them what do you think about that i think um so to bring it back to how this operates in a animistic praxis, I, um, I, I find that it's almost like contracting out jobs. Like anybody can, you can hire different people for work, right? Especially in a lot of, like I, I find a lot of the times that people who are starting off on an animistic path or um, kind of still adhere to the like ingredient plus ingredient equals the spell um, kind of witchcraft that a lot of the times what they're actually doing is contracting out work with spirits. Um, I know for certain certain relationships to start, it's helpful to contract spirits out, see if they'll do the work, how efficacious they are in doing that work and then build the relationship from there. It's kind of like building a, a, a work friend. Does that make sense? No, I love that. That's a really, that's a great way to describe it. So I think it can be helpful to, to build those kinds of relationships. Deity work can be very similar. However, I also think like what you were just saying, it is very important to recognize that there are historical traditional although i don't think that we have to adhere everything to tradition but there are particular ways in which deities are to be approached in some cases it is cultural 
In some cases, it is lineage. In some cases, it is through initiation of a religion. And you don't just get to walk up to a deity and be like, oh, I work with you now. Um, some, some spirits are very demanding. Um, some deities are very demanding. So it's, and on top of that, I think it's very important to recognize even if they are not like what we would consider to be like a closed practice, I think it's very important to recognize that there is historical and cultural precedence for how certain spirits and deities are to be approached. And I think that relationship can develop specifically with like Hakate, for example, we don't typically take dogs to the crossroads um, on new moons or black dogs and, and slaughter them. We don't do that right. um, anymore. Um, however, there is still historical precedence for how she is to be approached, like during um, the new moon, doing Hecate's feast um, or the Depnon, you know, taking the plate out. I actually, when I was doing um, some deity work with Hecate, I like to use tortillas because you're not supposed to take that plate back into your home um, because it's considered miasmic, I believe. Um, but you would take the plate with the egg and the cheese and the oil and the dust and all of that, and you would leave it at the crossroads and then you would turn around, you wouldn't look back. Um, those kinds of things. And that, that's historical precedence. And then as you develop the relationship, like, uh, and I don't know, because I'm not in it, but I've read enough of Jason Miller to know that he has a very special relationship with Hecate. Um, so, you know, that kind of relationship that is developed and grown from there that is not as traditional. Mm -hmm. No, no, I completely, yeah, his, his is definitely not totally traditional. Um, but at the same time, I actually like the way that people have been talking about more and more of the differences in worship versus working with because I am someone that kind of wants to step back from that idea of worshiping anything, anyone. In, in fact, if I was going to worship anyone or anything, it would be my own energy through myself into the universal God force. So that's what you want to kind of step back in a grand picture situation. Um, but even that I feel very uncommittal about mostly because I actually much more prefer the idea of working with deity, working with a spirit. Uh, one of the things that I do on a regular basis is I put out seed for birds because I believe that birds are our sky and air spirits. They're spirits of the north. They are messengers between um, different worlds. So I'm building a, a, a relationship, an animistic relationship with the birds. I build relationships with my garden when I'm growing plants. I build relationships possibly with deity by making, say, uh, uh, monthly offerings, depending on whatever that may be, without asking for anything in return. Because it is kind of like a contract. There are times when, you know what, I will ask for something in return. But because we have made this wonderful relationship with each other, it's not something that's going to be, uh, I don't have to pay, it's not, I hate saying I don't have to pay a price, but there is a, a working give and take situation here. Just because I'm putting out offerings for a deity on a regular basis does not mean that I am devoting myself to them or worshiping them. It means I am acknowledging their power, their divinity, their existence, and I am grateful for its existence. I see it and I want to actually be a part of it with you. I wanna take it back with me so we can work together. 
we're friends now, you know? <laughs> That's the way I kind of think about it. And I wish more people would recognize that because when you do come from an Abrahamic background, specifically like myself in Christianity, I didn't understand that this idea of, of worship me or you'll burn in hell was not actually that common in every other religion. <laughs> Like, there wasn't a blackmail for your soul situation in so many other aspects of paganism. Uh, but that actually kind of brings us to our next topic. Well, within this one is witchcraft or maybe not deity work, but, but magical practices with secular versus spiritual. Or should I say secular versus religious? What do you think? I would say secular versus religious. I, I do. Um, There's a difference between spiritual and religious, don't you think? I, I don't know. I sit on the fence because yes, but I also want to hold space for the fact that like, it's very hard to define. Like, I know people always have that like saying of like, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And then it's, you know, but I, I think it gets tricky. I do kind of lump it all into a religious thing, even though I would definitely say it's not, particularly witchcraft is is not a religion or at least doesn't have to be a religion. I find them quite separate, um, especially in terms of like religions that are rooted in witchcraft, like Wicca, for example. I actually agree. Now, I personally, because I sometimes define things and put them in boxes, I do kind of see religious as something that has a, a set tradition of dogma. And I see spiritual as something that might have dogma, it might have different aspects of spirituality, but it doesn't necessarily have something that must be adhered to and as, a, as, as an established tradition. Maybe that's just the way I think about that as a definition. but. Technically, I have not looked that up on dictionary.com, so I could be wrong. <laughs> I think I always, um, it, it kind of reminds me of like when people are, are like, ooh, Buddhism isn't a religion. I'm like, yes, it is. I know in the West, uh, to make it more palatable to, to white Americans, it's like filtered down into like this non-religious, adaptable uh, philosophy. Right, right. And, and it does try to get like made into a philosophy and like all religion has philosophies. That's part of it being a religion. That's kind of the point. When you get into it, it's like, no, Buddhism has a, a is not this um, unified body of belief system. And Buddhism is also like it is very much so a religious practice. You know, I, that's very true. I do know a lot of Buddhism over in the West can get kind of watered down into kind of like pot smoking Buddha bros who just kind of wear, wear like chakra shirts and just want peace, you know, that kind of thing. Good vibes, man. <laughs> right, right. I actually, when I lived in Kansas City, I had a friend who, um, oh God, I'm going to beat myself up for not being able to remember what Buddhist religion he followed, but I, 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 it was like some form of reformationist and it's, I believe it started in Japan. And I remember the chant that, that we did when I was at the, the, the temple, it was such a great experience. And he invited me to go. 
Um, and it was really lovely. It was like an open kind of, um, not a, it was a service. It wasn't really a ritual or anything like that. It was just like prayer, but um, it was, it was fascinating. And, um, you know, it, it was a very interesting service. They spoke in Japanese, I believe. And it was a really, really, it was a very interesting um, and lovely time. I like the, the fact that a lot of people are actually discussing this in online spaces more about secular versus religious and witchcraft or the occult, because there are so many different aspects of spirituality within the, the occult. I personally feel that I think the word secular witchcraft gets thrown around a lot while kind of ignoring some really key components that technically do bring it over to the more spiritual side. Even if you are not working with deities, even if you are not working with, with the idea of animism, believing everything has spirit, you're still working kind of within the power of yourself. If you believe that the power of your spellcraft comes within you, if you are that representation of the divine spark, so to speak, I do th still think there's a spiritual aspect there. Even if you're going with, I'm working with universal energy, I still think that's something that's kind of spiritual. I'm totally fine with people calling it secular. That doesn't actually bother me because I do think a lot of people who separate gods and goddesses and not working with gods and goddesses as just kind of labeling that as secular. What do you think? I, so I'm one of those people who would technically say that I practice secular um, witchcraft or secular folk magic, if, if it was, um, depending on who was asking. Um, so I, I definitely will make that secular versus religious statement. However, can I be controversial for a moment? Do it, do it, do it. It's, Actually, it's spicy. It's, it's actually not controversial at all. If you followed me no. for five minutes, you'll know my opinion on this. <laughs> um, uh, but if you're not working or operating in a, this might hurt some feelings, but if you're not operating within a form of animism or contracting or pacting or trafficking with spirits, I'm sorry, what you're doing is not witchcraft. <laughs> and I, I say that, I say that, because it's okay, it doesn't have to be witchcraft. I think it's so interesting, we, we get on this like, this, I, I think you've read Marshall or you know my stance on this, is that witchcraft is a set of, it is not a religion, however, it is a set of practices and philosophies, which make up my favorite word, a praxis, right? Um, and that is an embodied philosophy or belief system and a practice operating at the same time, right? So when we, I, and I know it kind of comes out of the 90s, but when we throw this word witchcraft around for anything that is some sort of alternative religion or alternative spirituality, what we're doing is we're actually doing, A, doing a disservice to people who do practice witchcraft, firstly. Um, but we're also kind of erasing a culture or a belief system that somebody may not identify as. For an example, I have a friend who is a practitioner of hoodoo and he is um, 
very, very firm on the idea that he does not practice witchcraft and does not like when people ascribe that term to him because in his belief system, in the way that he operates in, in witchcraft is not a um, good thing, which I would agree with him to an extent but it is not something that somebody would want to take that mantle up upon themselves however he is very respectful of other people calling themselves witches but he does not like the term being ascribed to him there is a separation in his belief system between hoodoo or african-american uh folk magic and witchcraft which is something very different and separate and because of his cultural background that carries its own weight right so i think it's very important to be very clear when we talk about witchcraft and and what that means um and i don't think that witches will ever be able to agree on a body of beliefs and i don't think we need to but i do think we need to agree on what it is that a witch does not what we believe in just what we do i think that's actually really interesting you say that because a couple of things that pop up in in a lot of spaces that really drive me nuts are things like there are no rules in witchcraft or there's no wrong way to do witchcraft and i think that's a very modern grandiose idea of what witchcraft is because there are a lot of folk practitioners that use use psalms that would very much not identify as witches or witchcraft. I know that uh, uh, reading American Brujeria by J. Allen Cross, I learned very much so that if you go to Mexico and you say I'm a bruja or brujo, they're gonna scream and run because they find that to be very malefic, very dark, something you don't want anything to do with, even though the word translates similarly, similarly over here in, in, in America, so, or in English, it's not the same thing. And the title in which it's given does matter. Personally, I think a lot of people who may have heard that and been, you know, like starting to type their hate email are also not realizing that every time they do a, a ritual tea, a ritual bath, every time they put a charm bag together with a couple different plants and maybe a sigil, you are making spirit contracts. The spirits of those plants, the spirit of that sigil, the spirit of, of that energy that you're putting into there, those are spiritual contracts. That is animism, even if you don't understand that that's what you're doing. And most of the time, especially a lot of seekers and new practitioners who are getting a lot of their information online and not from reliable established sources, they don't know that because the research behind it hasn't been explained outside of hi everyone, I'm so-and-so and I'm looking for a spell for such and such. And then in the comment section, people actually giving them bare bones spells. I'm not, I'm not knocking any of that. I'm, if that's what you wanna do, if that's what you want the extent of your practice to be, that is totally your choice. Nobody is gatekeeping you by telling you that that's not technically the extent of witchcraft <laughs> because all of that information is out there if you're willing to kind of go for it. But, uh, I find that a lot of times I am more on the secular side of witchcraft. And funny enough, a lot of tradcraft, modern day tradcraft, not necessarily clan of Tubal Cain traditional witchcraft, but a lot of modern tradcraft actually is very secular. If you've read Besson Stang and Sword or The Crooked Path, they talk about the witch king and queen or the devil and the goddess, depending on how you want to describe it as 
as being more like archetypal representations of something larger. Uh, you don't have to think of them as actual gods and goddesses, the same way you would maybe so in Greek pantheons, of course. That is up to your opinion. I know some people get more on the devotion side of that, and some people stick more on the secular side of that. What do you think about that? I I would say I'm gonna have to, um, well, agree, but also partially disagree. Go I do it. I do find um, particular devils. Firstly, in the way that I operate, um, my man at the crossroads probably isn't going to be the same one that Gemma Gary is talking about. Oh, sure. Um, we live in very different places. We live in uh, different, you know, di completely different parts of the world. Um, I think there are many crossroads spirits, uh, but I think um, they're still very much so living spirits. However, I would also agree with you that I don't see these deities, or I'm sorry, these spirits as deities, much like how, you know, if you have read Pheasant's Thing and Sword, they, they, they do very much so say, like, we do not worship um, the devil because that is antithetical to how it doesn't fit in with our belief system because their belief system is very autonomous and very, I don't want to say Luciferian because they never said that in their book, but it's very much in that line of, like, self-autonomy, self-governance, and to kneel or worship for um, a spirit would be antithetical to their own, you know, self-autonomy. Um, and I, I do fall much very in line with that as well. So I agree partially. It's, it's, I like that you say that because one of the things I love about Gemma Gary's books, and I read in <clears throat> uh, Traditional Witchcraft, The Book of Cornish Ways, I really like the way in which it's, and as well as I think the Devil's Dozen, she talks about it. She talks about these rituals and these commitments or 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 self-dedications. It's not about initiation the same way you would in a Gardnerian coven. It's a personal choice to go to a place of power. And she even describes this going to a churchyard at midnight or around a graveyard or whatnot. Um, it's not that we're calling up the devil of Christianity, so to say, as much as we are, when I say we, I mean this in the grand we, going to a place that represents authoritative power and rebelling against it, changing the path by, ins by instead of going in the church, walking around it backwards nine times to the left. It's, 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 a, it's a sympathetic aspect of creating a rebellion against what I am told I am supposed to do. Now, again, this isn't calling up the devil from, from the Bible, so to say, as much as it is calling up, in my opinion, that internal choice to turn away from the authority that I have been told is the only answer to find uh, uh, illumination or answers within myself, so to speak, or in other areas. Um, in fact, if you're down for it, I'd actually love to kind of read this passage. Uh, would that be okay with you? Yeah. 
So um, I have the Crooked Path in front of me, an introduction to traditional witchcraft by Keldon. And the, it was actually forwarded by Gemma Gary too. And there's this passage on the witch father. I really like the way it's described. Uh, I'll, I'll try to be quick, quick with it so it comes out well done. Uh, so who is the witch father? He is the archetypal divine masculine, the dual natured God. On one hand, He's the bearer of light, the provider of illumination, inspiration, life itself. On the other hand, he's the chthonic lord of the mound, sacrificial king who walks among the shadows, the bringer of death. The witch father wears many faces and goes by many names. He is not easily pigeonholed into one guise and shifts between them with relative ease. The title witch father acts as a placeholder for the names of countless spirits which make up his identity. Yet while he is known by many titles, the witches of folklore, there uh, in, the, in the witches of folklore, there was one in particular that summed up this complex spirit. It's a name that causes a visceral reaction, both positive and negative, for many modern day witches. For some, it is to recoil as if jumping back from a snake or poisonous plant. For others, it's an alluring pool, a deep fascination with something considered dangerous and taboo. Who is the spirit? He is none other than the devil himself. <sighs> I know, dun, dun, dun. I love this passage because it actually described what you were talking about. The devil or man at the crossroads or man in black or horn spirit, whatever that you are going to be dealing with at your crossroads within your praxis will be different from the type of, of presentation or identity of devil or Buka that might be Gemma Gary's over in Cornwall. It might be different from my man at the crossroads or my city style devil where I live over in Texas. It's going to be based off of where you live, your understanding of your surroundings and your land, your understandings of how you rebel, what you're rebelling against, what is being brought to you as enlightenment, enlightenment that is not given to you through the general authority, if that makes sense. I would very much so agree. Um, I know I am very open about uh, the devil or a devil that I um, work with. Well, I'm, I'm more so closed off about the personal relationship that I have with the initiator spirit that is the devil at uh, of my land or one of them. But I find often that people, there are many different devils. And honestly, if you, you look at um, Christianity, it's like almost anything that was, devils was like a very plural thing. You could throw that on well, Satan, yeah, Satan in itself was literally just a title for anything that was anti-God. Antithetical, antithetical to God was satanic. So anything that was basically antithetical to God was described as satanic. And to this day, that's literally what caused the satanic panic. It literally is, it just means adversary. Yes, adversary. So it's, it's very um, interesting. Can you hear that? No. Okay, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um, and of course, if you're going to go with sort of a trad craft tradition, which I actually do, because somewhat, there's also the idea of the witch queen, because we have to have balance here, don't we? Or the goddess. And it's very interesting because uh, I have done very, very mild research into Aradia or Italian witchcraft or Aradia, some people pronounce it. And, you know, they have a... a 
a folk tradition of, I believe it's Diana and Lucifer being the, the kind of praxis originators of witchcraft with humans, which I found really fascinating. I actually just read it. Um, okay, so, so you probably know more than me. <laughs> well, I okay, so I've put this book on. It's it's a if you all don't know, Aradia Gospel of the Witches by Charles J. Leland. It was published in the late 19th century. Um, and it was an interesting book. It's been discredited by a lot of scholars. Um, the person who wrote it may have, we don't know. And I, I personally would agree that this person um, maybe embellished some of the things, but I, I do think that he has something. Like, I do think he actually talked to real sources. But he wrote this book about a woman that he met who was his primary source. He did say that he had other sources, but this woman was a strega or an Italian witch, and she um, had this, she has this whole story, and the book is actually quite short. Um, I thought it was bigger, but it's not. And she has this whole story about Lucifer and Diana, and Diana is the mother of all witches, and Lucifer is somehow both the darkness and the light at the same time, which it falls very much in line with Luciferianism and um, all magic originates from, from both of them. It's a weird and really lovely book. It gets into a lot of backstory and a lot of like mythos that is not congruent with any sort of, um, you know, a reconstruction kind of thing. It, it, it does not go into any of that. But there's also a lot of very operative folk magic within it. Um, Aradia is the um, this magical child between uh, Lucifer and Diana. And um, they also go into a couple of different goddesses or kind of like these different aspects of Diana at the same time. There's this very interesting part that I really liked in the book where it was like, um, you know, you shall be uh, naked, which could potentially be a, a mistranslation, but you shall be naked until your oppressors um, have fallen, essentially. And it is like this big book of, um, anarchy a little bit and transgression and you know there's lots of good juicy folk magic in there like um, how to make a charm with a lemon to bring good luck to somebody but if you slip a couple of black pins black-headed pins in there um, it will curse them and they won't be any of the wiser so <laughs> it's a really fascinating book I do highly recommend it um, good stuff well, um, as someone who's a little bit more into tradcraft myself, I like the idea of the balance of the witch father and witch mother, the witch king and the witch queen, the devil and the goddess, however you want to describe them. I know some practitioners go directly with the idea of, say, uh, Lucifer and Hecate, some people say the devil and Hecate, say the devil and, and Morgan. I mean, people kind of like to kind of do some subbing in and subbing out. That's not necessarily my bag, so I'm not going to go too deep into that, but I like the definition of the difference between them. 
because the way that I kind of see it in an archetypal way is the devil or uh, or witch father or horned one is kind of a representation of the physical and in my praxis it represents the initiator into the other side it's the gatekeeper over the hedge um, that's the way I kind of recognize it the man at the crossroads there is a a very physical direct connection to the land that I'm working with that is kind of uh, of I don't want to say this the 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 gatekeeper of that land, while I see the witch queen or goddess as the creationist on the other side of the hedge, the the existence between spaces, she is a more liminal being of, of non-physical. When you go into spirit realms, when you talk about the essence that's behind the physical creation. So a lot of times when I'm doing now more, say, goddess work, it's it's more so pulling in that archetype of not divine femininity, but divine creation. And I kind of see that as being more witch queen, like, because she's, and again, she's not something that's all motherly woo-woo-y. She's also a chthonic goddess. I mean, I think that's the same sort of way in which you might attribute Hecate or or Lilith. Well, I'm not going to get too deep into Lilith today, <laughs> but I like to see these two physical and non-physical representations in my practice as two different sides of the exact same coin. I personally don't feel like you can have one without the other, but the recognition of how you see that might change from person to person. I find it um, very interesting so like I, I I do take this very like ominous approach to how people view religion um I believe that many Can you describe like, ominous for some people who might not know absolutely. what you mean by that yeah so an ominous is somebody who uh respects or for me I personally I view the a, the livingness of all deities from all different cultures. I do not find them to be the same. Um, I think that's pan, pan, uh, omnis. I, I don't know, but I, I don't see them as like a monotheistic deity at the top and then all different gods are, you know, filtering back into that one thing. I don't think deities actually really like to be viewed that way, or at least some of them. Um, but I do respect, like, yes, I do believe in the Abrahamic God. Yes, I do believe in, um, uh, you know, all these different deities from all over the world. I believe that they do coexist or at least exist, however, separately. Um, so well, actually, that's one of the things that I've heard a lot of people talk about, the difference between hard polytheism and soft polytheism. So hard polytheism, meaning you are recognizing that each and every single one of these gods and goddesses and deities are their own individual aspects and they deserve their own individual respect. And then there's soft polytheism where you kind of recognize that there is some fluidity between there. You see how some of these gods or goddesses have evolved through time and as cultures have have moved across this earth and, and names have changed, you may be a little bit more on the you're okay with the idea of someone saying that you know Diana is also Artemis and Venus is also Aphrodite and you're not you're not going to get too deep into that and so I've seen those two kind of classes 
of, of polytheists. Yes, and there are instances in history where soft polytheism, or, you know, that's a very modern way of saying it, but like for some- like porn. <laughs> for some Mediterranean areas, when there was a lot of cross-pollination between um, cultures and religion, like Venus, was the same, and this could be only one particular time period, I'm not speaking for all of, of Roman Greece, but like Venus was Aphrodite, and they were the same god, just under a different name, mm -hmm. um, or goddess. Uh, but I, I do think that there is still delineation. So it depends on, on the culture and the time. There's a lot of like um, Greeks, seeing Egyptian deities literally as Greek gods just differently. Um, but then there are also different parts of history where, um, you know, they're quite separate. Or if you take the uh, Greek magical papyri way of viewing things, sometimes you just take two or three or four or five gods and you just melt them all together in the same statue and you make a new god, which I think is super cool. So yeah. It's funny, I actually did a poll on my Twitter earlier this week, and it was, do you feel it's appropriate to include deities from open pantheons and spellcraft, even if you don't regularly, if you don't do regular devotions or worship them? Example, a love spell petitioned to uh, Venus, for st uh, or a strength petitioned to Thor, or enlightenment to uh, petition for Lucifer, and it's very interesting, 73% said it's totally fine no big deal. And 27% said it's not appropriate out of 84 votes. So that's a, that's a very interesting kind of, of, of difference there. It's definitely mostly totally fine. So a lot of people do feel I can do spellcraft calling on this deity because that's their correspondence and it's totally fine. I found that while the percentage of people that said, no, it's not appropriate was lower, the comments were much more about and from the people who disagreed saying it's not appropriate there needs to be some sub level of respect or 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 return working with and one even said and i love this it's not dial a deity here <laughs> like like you cannot reduce a deity to a correspondence and it's very easy to do that with modern day witchcraft with modern day online limited resources but some of the people were saying back and forth that they think it's more important that you don't have to worship a deity to work with them or, or have them do spellcraft for you. But I mean, if you have never even put in time with someone before and you went up to some stranger and was like, hey, will you buy me a sandwich? They don't know you. They're not going to buy you a sandwich just because you reached out and asked them. What did you give them? Did you even ask their name first? Like, did you ask if they want something in return? I'll buy you a sandwich too if you buy me one. Like, no. So I thought that was a very interesting way to kind of think about deity work. I am still forming my personal opinion on that, but so far, I don't think I would petition a deity that I hadn't at least put in a little bit of effort to get to know first. It's really interesting to me, especially when people are like, yeah, I like that you said dial a deity. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like, have you even done your research? Have you 
how you recognize that, and I'm just going to speak off of, of the, the little bit of information that I know from Greek polytheism and my brief treading in that. Um, like, do you know that there is a particular way to address Oranic and Chthonic spirits in, in the way that you gesture? Have you done a procession? Have you made kernips? Have you washed yourself? Have, you know, these deities have a way that they like to be approached? And I also think it, it gets trickier depending on, you know, like a deity like Hecate, um, you know, she is considered, well, I, I think it, again, it depends on if you're going like really hard reconstructionist or, um, you know, more like strictly Hecate devotional, but like, is, are you speaking to her as uh, an Oranic spirit? Are you speaking to her as a Chthonic spirit? Are you speaking to her as a ocean goddess? Um, you know, and it gets tricky, but have you uh, purified yourself from miasma? Like what, what have you, I don't know. I don't know, gal. Well, one of the things I really love, and I think I can say this because it's outside of his class as well, but um, one of the big things is addressing Hakate as a lover. And that's that's a very interesting statement that people misconstrue because a lot of people think of, of Hakate as a mother goddess. She's the mother of witchcraft. That's not fucking true. Hakate is not a mother. She is a chthonic goddess. She's, she is a goddess of, of crossroads, of filth, of the outer edges of town, of trash. She is the gatekeeper of, of the underworld. Like there is, there is a darkness there. She is not a big bosomed mama who wants to give you a hug. That's not, that's not who she is. She's not there saying, come to me, baby. Like, that's not what's going on here. She, she, she needs to be addressed as such. So one of the ways in which a lot of devotional, <laughs> like, uh, 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 prayers have, and, and invocations have been done is that they are addressing her as a lover, as not an equal, but someone that wants to participate with her, that wants to have a working relationship. But if you go to her or these sort of chthonic gods and goddesses as mothers and fathers and think of them as these big bosom mamas who just want to give you a hug, maybe they may not recognize you or maybe that's the way they'll treat you as a child or treat you as a child who is helpless and really can't do much on their own. And I would actually much rather work and have a relationship if I'm going to work with deity as somewhat of a partner in this aspect. So it's not when I'm saying I come to you as a lover, I'm not saying I come to you as someone that wants to have sex with you. I'm coming to you as someone that wants to be your partner in the magic we make. And I wanna bring you into myself so I can make magic and I wanna give you parts of myself so you understand that I am, am making an equal trade here. Um, I, think that, I think that's a really interesting kind of way to think about it. And when I see people things like say things like, oh, you know, Lilith, she's my mother goddess. And I'm like, I guarantee you, no mother would ever have looked at Lilith in ancient times and thought of, oh, yes, mommy, hood, and Lilith. And if you don't know what that means, I suggest you do just a wee bit more research because she definitely has a history of being somewhat of an abortificient. <laughs> Ab absolutely. Um, can I just, I just want to take us back to the fact when you said big bosomed mommy. Yes. I. <laughs> was just thinking of like Hecate as Jennifer Coolidge like it makes me really want a hot dog really bad 
bad. I know, right? That's exactly that's exactly what it is. Like that's I think a lot of people, oh my God, you literally drew her. I wish you guys could see this. This is great. Oh my gosh. I'll post it on my stories. So if you're gonna be doing uh deity work, I think it's really, really important to remember that a lot of these deities have history. A lot of these deities have 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 mythos and story that go with them. And unfortunately, in certain aspects of reconstructionism, in a lot of online spaces, people get kind of reductive with the way that they talk about them. They start reducing them down to very generalized ideas. And when no one wants to, I think I've said this online before, when everyone just becomes a big group of backpatters and doesn't want to step on anyone's toes and say, hey, I'm not sure if that's the way I would approach working with that deity because of this, this, and this history. If no one is saying that, then I feel like we're we're not doing our part as, as I'm not going to be a teacher and educator, but we're not doing our part as, as good partners in magic, if that makes sense. If you're going to be in an online group, if you're going to be offering advice, I think we should be doing better than just patting all each other on the back and trying not to step on toes. We should be sharing good information. Very that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about our last topic. And I think this is an interesting one because it happens a lot. The idea of a deity choosing you or if you are supposed to find your deity or whether or not you are supposed to be finding a deity in the first place. People get kind of really into this idea of I can't find my patron deity. I don't know who my patron god or goddess is. And I'm like, who told you you had to have one? <laughs> I find that, so hear me out, mm -hmm. um, there is this, this thing that happened during the modern witchcraft movement uh, that it's this very like God A and God B and you just, and that's not even like Wicca has its own set of, of deities, right? And it right. is, um, it, it's a tradition. It is its own religion. What happens when, you know, especially during the 80s and 90s, I find when the the chaos magic kind of thing operated everything off of a, a system of belief, right? So, and it's very like psychological, um, I don't agree with it, uh, but when you believe that this God is, is this God, then this God is that God and that's okay. Um, I personally, I don't, I wonder how we all got so caught up because so many people are very hellbound on having a deity, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I know that that comes out of the, the modern witchcraft revival, but typically when you look at history and when you look at folklore, witches are separate from deities because the goal is to be against the overculture and to also they don't operate within a church or temple framework whether that be pagan or christian or catholic or protestant it doesn't matter the witch is not part of secular religion the witch sits outside of that and that's why she is feared or he or they because they do not operate off of a, a deity a deity does not control them a deity does not rule them 
they have a different set of morals and values. So I wonder how, and I know that it, it's because a lot of like witchcraft and paganism is, you know, meshed together, although I think within the past couple of years, we're trying to separate that, the two, but there is, to me personally, I don't operate within a deity framework because again, deities don't, I don't operate within a temple or a church system. My magic is wild, which is our wild. And, and um, that is kind of the point. How do you think about that? No, I definitely understand that. I do very much think that there's a lot of validity in practitioners and, and witches who do work within that sort of temple aspect, who do work within a more religious or, or, or god and goddess, or just having a patron god, if that's what you want to do. I, of course, think all that is valid, too. I think there's lots of different versions. I don't sure. think you're saying, yeah. I don't think you're <laughs> saying otherwise. Um, but I also understand kind of what you're saying, because that's actually one of the things that has drawn me to where I am now. I do very much feel somewhat separate from that overculture. I do feel very much separate. Um, you know, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I'm gay. I'm the firstborn male child of my family. You know, all of my ancestors on either side of my dad's side didn't have any children with their other siblings so it's literally come down to me and my sister and we're both queer <laughs> like so a lot of expectation has been kind of put on us we grew up going to church we were baptized when I started turning away from what I was told I was meant to do and meant to be it was very very traumatic because it I don't know how to describe it other than everything about it felt so wrong. So when I was trying to find myself, part of that joy, part of that uh, ecstaticness was the choice to turn away. And so to this day, I still don't like thinking about myself personally working with a patron deity, a patron god or goddess. I'm so glad. I went to the Hakate class and I learned what I learned about it, but I don't see myself being that person that makes this a daily devotional practice for the rest of my life. I see myself ebbing and flowing with my practice as it evolves. I see myself recognizing the duality of the physical and the non-physical. I see myself much more working with plant spirits <laughs> way more often than say gods and goddesses. Uh, because when it comes to plant spirits, a lot of times there is some set boundaries for what they represent or what's, what's necessary for that. But I also don't have a whole pantheon of do not make this offering to that deity with a flower. It needs water. And I sing to it, <laughs> you know, there, there's a little bit of a difference between that. So I, that's kind of where I fall on it. But, so, oh no, go ahead, go ahead. So how do you how do you feel about when people say that a deity chose me? I have my own opinions, but I want to hear yours. Okay. I feel like this is something that has arisen in a lot of online spaces over the past, I would say, decade or so. I think it started with Tumblr and moved its way over to Facebook groups and TikTok. And I'm going to put this out there. And if you want to cancel me for it, that's just fine, listeners. But I do feel like there has been a sense of, of okay, 
this okay this is where it's getting a little spicy <laughs> i think there's a sense of pick me person here going on i think there's a sense of uh of of i'm special i'm different and i literally am looking back at what i said earlier that i felt like an outcast and i felt different and i was like oh my gosh am i a pick me boy but <laughs> i personally feel there is the idea of of way too much fictionalized paganism within media throughout our my entire life whether you want to go with marvel or or percy jackson or any of those types of of heroic stories and bits of media that bring in different types of pantheons that have really really fucked over the mentality of modern day young practitioners because i remember reading books about odin came to me by a series of crows and because this person now saw a crow outside of their window on a thursday morning that odin has come to them and i'm just like girl that's a crow like it's just it's just it's there it doesn't necessarily mean that you have been picked by a god people have experiences that i am not here to invalidate because i do know that people have had very wondrous experiences but historically, and I think modern day today, most people who work with deities are actively choosing, researching, and going about it themselves. They might be drawn to one, and that's wonderful, that's fine. They might have feeling like there are signs that one is trying to reach out to them. You know what? I'm not here to invalidate that. I don't know you. I don't know if that's actually happening. but. I do know that it gets very overinflated and LARPing has become a big issue, live action role-playing and the idea that, you know, I hate, to, I hate to say this, but like people are literally going on about straight up like, oh, my deity came to me and he told me that this is the dress that I should wear today. And me and him are gonna go have coffee at Starbucks. He really likes the raspberry mocha. And I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like okay now you're just now you're just having a nice little invisible friend here i think it can be really unhealthy i'm lucky i have not seen any of that i've heard of people encountering that mm. um and i i know what clock app that that happens on which is why i'm very thankful um i pray to god every day that i don't i don't do it I'm gonna um, make you one. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make you one, under your login and email it to you. And then you're gonna be like, "What is this?" You're gonna open it. And you're gonna have it on your phone. <laughs> will you just make? Will you just like do like Bayonex Bramble TikTok takeover? Like That's it's perfect. just you. It's, it's just, just you. Hi, I'm Austin. I'm not Marshall. <laughs> um, I so I want to hold space for folklore and and history to especially with like certain witch initiation things right a lot of the times in stories and trial records and folklore the devil appears or a spirit appears to whisk this person away to the fairy court and the queen of ill fame Oh, or something like that in a time of great distress and great need, or sometimes, um, you know, while the person's spinning 
on the spinning wheel and they're just like super entranced and, and you know, something like that happens. But a lot of the times it is a very, um, I was chosen, I was picked kind of thing. And I wanna hold space for that. I, I, I think that people can be picked. I think people can be chosen by spirits and, and by deities and, and, and sometimes you don't have a choice right um in a certain you know traditions divination has to be done to um you know see if you're qualified to work with these spirits and sometimes it just so happens that you pull the divination that was like nope we need to like um we need to indoctrinate this person in, into the tradition and then it's like okay well i guess you're you're getting started and that does happen um, so I do think you can be chosen, but I think this, um, desire to, I like that you said, pick me attitude. I, I think that's very. Not every prevalent. single person can be Percy Jackson. I'm sorry. Not everyone is a demigod. <laughs> I hated all of, all of those, um, I too. Books, I hated them. the movies, they were so debased, mm. um, <laughs> Uma yeah. Thurman wasn't even a good Medusa. She was in a trench coat. Oh no, not oh. not Miss Uma. Miss I Uma. I know she was amazing, except for in that movie as a very lame Medusa. I could watch Kill Bill every day of my life, and I'd be oh. fine. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> One or two, though. One or two. They each have. They both have really, really great aspects. I think I'd have to watch both, like back to back for the rest okay. of my life and that's okay. Okay, well, go on, go on, go on. Um, you actually brought up something yesterday that I, I thought was interesting and I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Okay, I pause because this is, this is going, we're gonna end a little spicy today because I have seen a few things that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I have seen some things in in online spaces where people say like, well, I believe in reincarnation and I believe we all reincarnate cross-culturally. So I don't think that who I am as a white person today should keep me from being able to work with this close practice just because it's an ATR. Or I think that, oh, so-and-so chose me from this close practice. So I had no choice. And I'm just kind of like, mm. I have some weird ideas about that. Can I start? Please. So firstly and foremostly, from what I understand from a close friend of mine, in the, and I'm just going to speak on what he says, I'm not speaking for him. I just, I, I know that he's done his research, his work, and he is from a West African background. So in many West African traditions, the concept of reincarnation is a thing. However, you, it is not this grand open process where a, uh, you know, you come back as, as anybody or anything. Uh, the process of reincarnation is the, the ancestors that have been, become before you. So you are the ancestor of somebody in your family who has already deceased. So to make the very interesting claim that because uh, you, quote, believe in reincarnation, firstly, I can tell you, you probably don't. <laughs> like, you don't understand the cultural nuances of, of that, um, most likely. 
Um, it, it, it's not just because you believe in reincarnation, it doesn't mean that whatever you think goes. That's not how that works. It's very what? common. <gasps> what? Just, we mean whatever I think isn't how it is? No. Oh, I feel destroyed. <laughs> I feel so destroyed. <laughs> it, well, it also comes back again to these, I, I think a lot of the times these Eastern philosophies that were really big in the 60s, really big in the 70s, really big in the 80s and the 90s, and that had to be misappropriated and, and, and watered down into these very basic concepts that people, that white Western Americans found palatable and also to keep the um, very encroaching government that wanted everybody to be a white Protestant um, American. It, it, you know, it got filtered and watered down into this thing that if you go to certain places where who are who do believe in these things or who I'm sorry um live them as their everyday lives and it is more so the accurate representation of their own culture you're going to find that it looks quite different and they the belief system is quite different you know, I, I absolutely agree. I think a lot of the way in which we see different ph philosophical practices and beliefs over here in the Western side of, especially within America, it's very bastardized. Karma is very bastardized. Uh, it's not what we think it is. It's been very, I like the word palatable that you use because so many aspects of beliefs have been watered down and generalized to make them more palatable. And I think reincarnation is one of those. And a lot of people, especially within kind of the witchy community, because of the way a lot of the information has been funneled down to where we are now, we are missing bits and pieces of that larger picture that used to go with that concept that has now been rolled into this concept that has now been taken down into a tiny word like karma, like reincarnation, like the devil. And I don't find it very palatable <laughs> when I see people try to make excuses for appropriation with things like, like reincarnation. I don't like that. I just don't like it. And I, I, I feel like it's an excuse to do something you're not supposed to and a complete uh, obstinance to learn why you shouldn't. Because if, if your excuse is, well, I um, uh, believe that we are all different people and different colors and, and, and historical backgrounds and the spirits don't care about our skin color. And I'm like, but they care about their people and they care about the oppression that people have gone through. And these spirits, no, I'm not saying they're going after you or they're not going to work with you because of your skin color. What I'm saying is that you are being obstinate to the fact that this belief system isn't necessarily one that was, was for you. And now, instead of actually trying to understand why, you're just leaning into a more palatable excuse as to why you refuse to learn why it's not supposed to be for you. I don't know. I, I, I feel that way. What do you think? I, I, I find the... Um... It's very interesting, always the excuses that come from people who um, are not actually a part of like ATRs or are not 
uh, going through the proper channels to um, go to particular spirits, ancestral deities or, or things like that. And it's like, do you really think that a group of people who everybody else who has had to be initiated and go through the proper channels and all of that, do you really think that like you're, you're just the exception? That's pick me attitude to me. On top of that, I, you know, things like Reiki and it comes with its own set of issues, right? Uh, in, in the West. Um, and in yoga yoga especially um which is a spiritual religious practice it is not an exercise just an exercise it is a physical and spiritual practice at the same time um <laughs> so reincarnation yoga all of these things i don't want to sit here and speak from or even like tantra right uh, that's a big one in the west um I don't want to sit here and speak from somebody who is an authority or super, super knowledgeable about these traditions, but I know enough to know that when a lot of this was going on, it was paralleled in the 60s and what was going on in the 60s, the New Age movement, as well as the modern witchcraft revival. So a lot of these things that you're going to see incorporated into modern witchcraft are going to incorporate systems like chakras, which are not even like the seven wheel of light thing is not even the monolith of the chakra system there are several different belief systems through chakras and it's it, it just gets you don't know you don't understand so stop doing it i don't know i mean maybe some people do right maybe you'd actually like you know and and, and to those people and not you know throwing it under the bus it's just when, when you take a step back and you actually look at these cultural practices, you have to understand that a culture has the right and the ability to define themselves. And that includes their religious beliefs, their spiritual magical beliefs. Um, and you, unless you are not invited that's not what I'm trying to say, but if you are not going to that culture and then being taught from authorities within that culture, you are not, that is appropriative. No, absolutely. If you're not willing to do the steps to at least follow the initiatory practice and respect the culture that you're going to, to, be, to be following that belief system from, you're not really following the belief system. You're just following a bastardized version of it that's appropriative. If you have a dream that Papa Legba from American Horror Story came to you and you are now chosen as a voodoo priest or priestess, I am sorry, but that is not only appropriative, that's bullshit. That's a yeah. show. That's a TV show. That's not even an accurate representation of Legba. I mean, like, I don't want to get too deep into that, but... You know, okay, so while I've gotten kind of preachy, <laughs> I'm going to get off my soapbox for a second. I do want to say one thing, just so people can hear a little bit of the non-preachy aspect of this. To be honest, I don't care what you do in your own house. I don't care what you do behind closed doors. I don't care what you are doing within your practice that is yours and your private space. I can sit here and tell you that if you are doing this, it's appropriative. But do I even know you're doing it if you're doing it in your own home? No. 
What I do know is if you start becoming a representation of that belief system in a public sector, if you as a person who had a dream about Legba from American Horror Story and now you're a voodoo priest, but you haven't done any of the actual work that's required by this tradition, if you have not been initiated, if you have not been invited or, or gone through this process, now it not only are you misrepresenting this culture, you're doing a really shitty job of it. So I don't care. Honestly, I am not someone who's going to preach to you about using white sage if you want to in your backyard. I can tell you why that has associations that you might not be doing the right thing with it. But if I don't know you're doing it, I'm not going to preach to you about it. Again, if you go online and start selling it, that's different. If you go online or if you start writing a book on something that a culture that you are not a part of, you make yourself a representation of it. You make yourself a spokesperson of it. There is a big difference of, of transgression that that takes on other than you doing what you want to do behind your closed doors. Cause I have no idea what you're doing and to be perfectly honest, it's really none of my business. So I'm not here to preach and tell you what you can or can't do. I'm not gatekeeping. You can do whatever the fuck you want. But I'd like you to know what you're doing. I think that, I think you should at least know what you're doing, you know? <laughs> I fully agree with that. But at the same, at the same time, so when, when you start to speak about particular things, like what you were saying, what you do behind closed doors, when you start telling your friends or your mentors or your peers or whatever, then you start to speak because now people are going to look at you in a authoritative figure, even if that's not where, like, even if you strictly state, like, that's not where I'm speaking from, like, I'm not an authority figure on this. Um, the unknown, the unlearned are going to flock to the learned or the supposed learned, right? So now you are no longer take it, especially in terms of like UTRs or things like that, where you have, you don't have the ability to define that culture because you're not even in it, right? Or define that religion because unless you've been initiated, you wouldn't know what's going on behind closed doors. So you can't even define it, right? Nobody's, nobody's able to accurately define what they do beside, or what, what people or initiates of certain covens, traditions, lodges, or anything like that. Nobody is able to define what they do besides the, the people who are learned in that tradition, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's very, you have to be very careful about what you say, because the minute that you start speaking on it, now you are no longer t- putting the attention on those authoritative figures, like priests or mambos or um or whomever right and you start putting the attention on you and you are now speaking from that place of authority so while I fully agree that I don't I don't really care what you do in your own practice like I probably don't think much about anything else besides mine um I will say the moment that you start speaking on these things that you unless you are and, and I even want to say sometimes people who are in quote initiated into things that doesn't still give you the right to speak um, 
in absolution, right, for a culture, right? So when you start to speak, then that can have its repercussions, so. Well, I mean, like, I read J. Allen Cross's American Brujeria. If I went out there and read, like, three more books on Brujeria and then, like, went to a publishing company with my own version, my own book on Brujeria, I can read all of those books. That information is out there to be absorbed, to be out there to be respectfully used. It's not out there for me as a white Anglo Texan boy to go and turn around and then profit off of that because I am not a representation of that community. I am not given like the actual information directly from family traditions. I'm only reading a few books and then hypothetically writing my own. That would be going beyond appropriation to misrepresentation. That is how so many aspects of misinformation and even disinformation get pushed out there. I actually saw someone, this was actually kind of sick. I actually saw someone give a cord cutting spell to a seeker in a Facebook group for someone who was looking for uh, something completely different. And as I was reading it, I was like, okay, this person, I think they really asked for like something to, to help get a better job or like to help with a relationship or like self-love, just something very light and fluffy. And they gave them a step-by-step cord cutting spell or like a vanishing cord cutting spell. And I'm like, okay, either you are so misinformed, you do not understand what you just wrote, or you maliciously actually tried to give someone a piece of magic that would cause them harm and they wouldn't know any better because they're in this group like that that's ugly that's disinformation and i don't hopefully don't, um, i luckily don't see that very often but unfortunately that's also how misinformation can happen and i just kind of feel like back to the subject of hand of a deity choosing you <laughs> <laughs> to bring it all back to bring it all back i do think we need to stop waiting for some patron magical sky daddy to to show up in your bedroom or in some sort of flower or bird and instead get out there if you want a patron deity if you want to know more about mythos start researching start googling start reading books i think that is the best way to go about finding where you find that connection to divinity outside of sitting there waiting to be chosen because you saw someone on TikTok. Yeah, uh, sacredtext.com, that's sacred-text.com, Project Gutenberg. Um, Hermetic the, Library. Hermetic Library, those are all really amazing resources to start, um, especially Project Gutenberg. Like I didn't realize how expansive their library was. And so is Sacred Text. They, they're probably one of the largest occult book websites on or and not even a cult uh religious spiritual texts. in general they have yeah. lots of spiritual texts on there outside yeah. of the occult outside of witchcraft outside of grimoires you can do so much research for free on there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sacred-text.com yes well i think that about sums up working with deities today <laughs> i i think we covered a myriad of topics from Hecate as Jennifer Coolidge, to um, Sky Daddy, to Omnism, 
I think we covered just about everything. Yes, yes, yes. And don't forget, of course, the devil. Thank you.